0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. We're currently in a series called Revelation, Breaking the Code. The book of Revelation is one of the most fascinating and power-packed books in the entire Bible. Now here's Dr. Kelly with this week's podcast.
1: Do you want to know what it is? The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. I'm offering is the truth, nothing more.
0: Follow me. Mm. Yeah. Come on now. Hey, here's an alert to let you know how fast time is going. That was 15 years ago. Actually 16, it was, uh, it was actually 1999 going into 2000. There is, this, there is this idea in the movie The Matrix, and this is why it was so big. And by the way, if you're a young person and you're like, what is that? Google it and go watch it. It's a great movie. It was only the other night and I watched it with my kids. They had never heard it and seen it. Great, great movie. And the whole concept is that there is this dystopian reality that is taking place on planet earth and yet there is this other maybe more real reality if you will that is taking place it's called the matrix and the reason I wanted to show that clip as we get into part two of revelation is because the truth is if you will really lean in and study this book scales will start to fall from your eyes And you will start to understand that though there seems to be one reality taking place across planet earth. And people are all moving in mass numbers in one direction. Don't miss this. There is another reality that is unfolding before our eyes. A spiritual realm reality. Jesus says the way to destruction is broad. The numbers are many. But the way to eternal life is narrow. There is this reality That many of us are being awakened to. And here's the cool thing. Many of us kind of intuitively knew that there was something gone awry. And there's more to the story. Hey, welcome to New Hope Church. Part 2 of Revelation Breaking the Code. Come on at all of our campuses. Celebrate. We welcome all of you campuses. We love, we love, we love you guys and what is going on there. Now, if you missed last week, you missed a lot. And uh, I challenged us last week to put our thinking caps on, and I got to tell you, I was really blown away by the way in which you folks leaned in and engaged this series. It is going to be a somewhat academic series, and so you guys are all about that, and I love it. You brought your Bibles. If you missed last week, listen closely. You can go to the Resource Center today at any of our campuses, and you can pick up a message, or you can go to my blog, BenjiKelley.com. You can actually not only see the message there, but I went in and... Uh, put some of the vocabulary, actually all of the vocabulary that we covered last week and the symbolism that we covered last week, it's all there because I heard many, many people saying, I just couldn't take notes fast enough, so I put it there for you. Today we get to Revelation chapter two and chapter three. We have a lot of ground to cover, so I'm going to move very, very fast. take out your teaching notes, open up your Bibles or your phones or your tablets, whatever the case may be. Here's where we're going to go today. We're going to cover two entire chapters. And in those two chapters, the writer of Revelation, which is who? John, smart. you remember from last week, some of you already knew. John writes the seven churches. Now, I shared with you last week that the word seven means what? Come on. Oh, I love this church. Completion, perfection. So when, when the letter, the whole book of Revelation is really written to the seven churches, which means that it's written to the universal church. It's written to the complete church, which, by the way, includes us. Amen? And so that doesn't negate, though, the fact that there are these seven churches that John is writing. And I wanted to kind of show you geographically what we are talking about. Now, most of you uh, know this area of the world. You've got Greece here, you've got the Aegean Sea, which is right in here. This is modern day Turkey up in here, okay? And this is the seven churches that John is writing. And it's very fascinating. If you just follow them in a semicircle, clockwise fashion, you see the way in which it made sense for John to include the churches in this order because this is the order in which John or somebody else would deliver these letters. Everybody say Ephesus. Everybody say Smyrna. Pergamum. Thyatira. Sardis. Philadelphia, Laodicea. How many of you are thinking about a Philly cheese sandwich right about now? Do I not know you or what, right? Okay, go ahead, she says. Okay, so I just zoomed in a little bit more, and here are these seven churches. Here is the semicircle clockwise motion. Here's where we are in relation to the world again. These seven churches that John is writing. Now, here's what I'm going to do today. I am really going to just hunker down and pour through these specific letters to the churches. I can't read the whole letter to you, but I'm going to highlight the places where there's praise for the churches when they're doing good. And I'm going to highlight the place where there's course correction and challenge and conviction when the churches are doing bad. And here's all I ask you to do. You ready? Here's what I ask you to do. Lean in. Read the Word of God, and let God encourage you where God wants to encourage you. Amen? Amen. Let God convict you where God wants to convict you. Amen. Anybody up here, you like for a preacher to step on your toes every now and then? Yeah. <laughs> Bring it. The rest of the crowd's like, no, I'd, I'd rather, I'd, I'll pass. Um, <laughs> I know, I know. Let, challenge, let the Word of God convict you. You'll hear this theme throughout the entire message, this theme of repentance. And we're going to talk about that. If you're ready for it at all of our campuses, say, bring it, Pastor. Pastor. Here we go. Ephesus. Ephesus. The church at Ephesus. Now, at the beginning of every single uh, passage that's written to the church, these are the words you see, okay? To the angel of the church in Ephesus, because that's the first one, right? And then it's followed by specific words for that particular church. Now... One, one quick thing about this word angel. To the angel. Now, some of you, how many of you, come on, show of hands. All of our campuses are going to do a little participation. How many of you love the concept of angels? Yeah, you're the Hallmark people. You love, <laughs> you love the angels that we see around Christmas in the Bible. And they float around. And they have white wings. And they make you all happy inside. Listen closely. You don't see that in the Bible. In the Bible, every time you encounter an angel, human beings are down on their face freaking out. So there's a disconnect between hallmark angels and biblical angels. I'm just throwing that out there for you. But if you like those cards, keep sending them. Um, Just don't send it to me. Send it to Amy Lynn. Now, so... (laughs) A couple of things. One is, when, when the, now scholars have spilled a lot of ink over this one, okay? So when the Bible says to the angel, there's two interpretations historically. I'll let you choose which one you want to believe and I'll tell you which one I believe. The first interpretation is that when, when John says to the angel, that John's actually talking about to the leader of that church, to the pastor, to the point leader, to, you know, the guy or the gal who's leading the church. So if you go with that interpretation, you need to stop calling me vanilla chocolate and call me angel Benji. That is frightening to think about. I'm just saying. But it's to the the human agent, the pastor, the leader of that particular church. The other interpretation, which I'll go ahead and tell you. This is where I lean. The other interpretation is the same way in which you see angels used throughout the New Testament. That John is writing an apocalyptic letter to the church. And he's writing it to, if you will, the guardian angel of that particular church. Which is kind of a cool thing if you stop to think about it. That new hope, we don't talk about this much, might have a guardian angel that watches over us. Amen, amen. The angeology people are like, yes, angels! The rest of you are like, can we move on? All right, we're moving on. We're moving on. Here we go. To the church in Ephesus. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent... I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, you remember last week? Remember last week we talked about lampstands, right? And that the the seven churches, they were the seven lampstands. Go read the end of Revelation 1. And the seven lampstands are to do what? Give out light in the midst of a very dark world. And that the church is the hope of the world. And in a world that is growing increasingly dark, the call of the church is to let the light of Christ shine. Pushing back the darkness. And so the Bible is saying here, hey, you have neglected your first love. You you have neglected the one who saved you and the one that you used to love and cherish and spend all kinds of time in worship and prayer and in the word of God. Have you forsaken your first love? It's a serious question. I can remember when I first became a Christian, 18 years old. I accepted, I'll never forget what it was like to taste and see that the Lord was good for the very first time. Can you remember? Can you remember what it was like when you first came to faith in Christ? And if you're not in faith yet, yeah, hey, today might be your day and you'll experience exactly what I'm saying. But if you're not even sure you know Christ, we're so glad you're here. But when you first experience the love of God, when you first experience the grace of God, when you first experience the truth of God, and you realize God has a plan for your life, there is nothing sweeter. I remember, I remember for years, like for the first five or six years of my Christian life, I got up at every single morning at 5 a.m. and read the Word for hours. Every morning. Then I would pray and and then I would then I would put worship music on glory. Hallelujah. Worship music in the eighties. How did we even worship God to that stuff? I don't know. Carmen, come on, Carmen. Oh my. But God covered it, right? I'd worship God. I can remember laying on my floor in my bedroom, just prostate before the Lord, just with tears rolling down my face. Can you? Have you you forsaken your first love? Because I wish I could tell you that in 28 years of following Christ, I wish I could tell you that it's always been that way. There have been times when I've grown cold. There have been times when I felt like my heart was growing hard toward God. There have been times when I just... I forsake my first love. Not, not intentionally, and I never did turn my back on Him, but I just wasn't having that, that intimacy, that, that passion, that tenderness, if you will, with my Lord and my Savior. How, how are you doing with that? Do, do you need to repent of that? And the married folks, some of you married folks around, you're going, hey, I'm, I'm, what you talking about? He, he's my first love, your spouse. Your spouse is not your first love. <laughs> group of people seemed happy about that, group of people not sure about that. Some of you ladies are like, What you talking about? I'm his first love. No, you're not. You've heard me preach on marriage before, you guys have heard me say that No, no, no. Amy Lynn, I love Amy Lynn, been married to her twenty years. Oh my Lord, I love that woman. She's not my first love. Jesus Christ is my first love, 1 John 4:19 says, "We love because He first loved us. Amy is my second love, and I don't want to be her first love. Now real quickly, then we're going to move on. How are you doing with your relationship with God? There are two things that make a strong, strong marriage, two things that make a strong, strong relationship. It's called time and communication. You spending time with God these days in His word, in prayer? Are you, are you spending time? Are you communicating? with God first word to us today is don't forsake your first love everybody say Smyrna here we go let's continue this is the second letter to the second church do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer now you remember last week I taught you about apocalyptic scripture it's written in the midst of intense persecution and martyrdom Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for ten days. Ten days doesn't mean literal ten. Ten is a, a period of a length of time. In the book of Revelation, we'll unpack that later in the weeks ahead. But it's saying, you're going to endure persecution. The devil will put you in prison. Watch this. Be, what's that word? Be what? Even to the point of... And I will give you life as your victor's crown. Before I go to the next one. Hey, if you were ever faced with denouncing Christ and living. Or staying faithful to Christ and dying. What would you do? I want you to wrestle with that. I'm going to show you in a moment. Because it's, it's not as unforeseeable as maybe we used to think. You know that persecution is at an all-time high of Christians in the world? I wish I could tell you I think it's going to get better. I'm not sure it will. Let's, let's continue. I'll get to that in a moment. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is, what's that word? The one who is faithful, the one who is victorious, will not be hurt at all by the second death. Would you be faithful? Would you be loyal in the midst of unforeseen, unbelievable, intense persecution? And let's just be honest. It's hard for us to imagine this in the Western world. Come on, come on, come on. You get mad if somebody opens up their car door and hits your car. You get upset. Come on, come on. You get upset if you're in a restaurant and the waiter or the waitress is taking too long. We get upset if the barista at Starbucks jacks up our drink. We have a hard time really coming to terms and comprehending what true persecution is like. And I'm not going to put you on a guilt trip for that because I don't know about you. I'm thankful we don't have to deal with that. Amen? Amen. But can I just tell you, and most of you know this because you watch the news. With the growth and the springing up of ISIS... In the Middle Eastern part of the world and now pockets of them even in America. I don't like to tell you, but the truth is persecution of Christians is at an all-time high for the modern era. Christians being beheaded for their faith. Christians in the Middle East, especially in Syria, here are some quotes for you, are exceeding 3 million refugees today. Nearly a third of Syria's estimated 600,000 Christians have fled having been driven out by the terrorist group ISIS. The number of Christians in the Middle East in countries like Egypt and Israel and Palestine and Jordan where Christianity was born now equals about 4% of the population and shrinking Would you do it? Would you be loyal? Would you be faithful? Because the day is not so far away where maybe, not, not all of no no, no but maybe, maybe you would be faced with that. It's my job to get you ready for that. I was traveling not long ago and uh, internationally, and somebody said, you might want to take your cross off. You might think I'm stupid. I said, no, I'll pass. Tell you about one of my favorite saints of all time. His name was Polycarp. If you know church history, you know Polycarp. Famous, famous saint. Polycarp was faced with, because by the way, in this particular church, they were dealing with emperor worship. They were dealing with human worship, which is why John says, stay faithful, stay loyal, don't worship mankind. There was a man by the name of Polycarp, and he was told that if you don't denounce Christ right now and lift incense to the human emperor, we will burn you on the stake now. Polycarp. Squared his shoulders and straightened his spine. And he said this unbelievable quote. He said, how then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? You won't see this on the screen. I just want you to hear this. He says, 80 and 6 years. He was approximately 86 years old, we believe. 80 and 6 years I have served Jesus and he has done me no wrong. Then he says this. How then can I blaspheme my king and savior. You threaten me with fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. To which his torturer said, cool, have it your way. And they burnt Polycarp, the year was 156 A.D., they burnt Polycarp on the stake. And historians and scholars, even secular historians, people like Josephus would record that the aroma from Polycarp was a sweet smell to the saints in the church. I know it's heavy, I know. What would you do? I just want to give you three quick things and then we're going to move on. But I just want to talk about this for just a moment more. Can can we just as a church pray for those who are enduring persecution? Let us never be a church that doesn't pray for the martyrs and those who are being beheaded. Even as I preach in this very moment. Number two, I think you ought to pray and praise God that you've never experienced it. Neither have I. Praise God for that. And by the way, I think it is okay to pray that you never get put in that situation. And here's the third thing. Settle now. Settle now with deep resolve in your spirit that if you were ever faced with that kind of situation, you would not sell out on Christ. But that you would square your shoulders and strengthen your spine and say, I will not denounce my God. He owns my past, my present, and my future, and I am going to stay faithful to Christ. Now, you're clapping, and I'm glad you are, but I just want to encourage you, settle that one. Wrestle with that one more. This is what the Word is saying to us. Let's go to the next church. Everybody say, Pergamon. Here we go, here we go. Likewise, this is, by the way, this is in 15 and 16, chapter 2. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Okay, now I'll explain that in just a moment. Repent, therefore; otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now, if you got your Bibles open, just go back and look at uh, Revelation two six and Revelation two fifteen. There, you see this whole. Concept of the Nicolaitans. I'm going to explain that. Uh, it's related to the heresy, big word, I'm sorry, but I uh, got to tell you about it. It's related to the early church heresy called antinomianism. Antinomianism. It's the very same thing. And the whole concept of antinomianism, if you're taking notes, write this down. It's a belief that the doctrine that faith alone, a belief in the doctrine that faith alone, Not obedience to any form of moral law is the only thing necessary for salvation. Now, to which some of you who are really schooled in the Christian faith, you're like, well, that's true. We are saved by faith alone. But this was an early church heresy, and I dare say it's a heresy today because what antinomianism believed and what the Nicolaitans believed is that, listen, if we're really just saved by faith alone, then we don't need to worry about surrendering to the lordship of Jesus Christ, submitting to the word of God, and letting God ultimately change us into the image of Christ. So what the Nicolaitans did... What those wrapped up in antinomianism did is they said, okay, we believe, fine, if you say we get to go to heaven, if we believe in Jesus, fine, we're going to believe in Jesus, but we aren't going to change anything about our life. Now go back and read Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 when you get a chance. For we are saved by grace through what? Faith, this is the gift of God, not by works. Can we all just agree we're not saved by works, amen? We're not saved by moral law, amen? But if you keep reading there, it says, but we are saved by grace through faith This is not the gift of self, not the gift of works, but that we have fruits. We have works that are come as a result of our faith. We are all about being Christian followers of Jesus. Can I get an amen? But that does not save us, but that also does not negate the fact that that is a part of salvation. That is a part that comes after we're safe. It doesn't impact our salvation, but we are supposed to be men and women of the light. This is what this church is being warned against. You know what this is about? This is about not just talking the talk. This is about walking the walk. There's a word for those who say they believe in God, but they never actually place themselves on the anvil of God's transformation. It's called hypocrite. The word or the challenge or the question I would ask you as you sit here today is, Are you the same person on Monday that you are on Sunday? Are you surrendered to the lordship of Jesus? No, it doesn't impact your salvation. But have you said, you know what, God, I want the truth of your word to transform me into the image of Jesus? Are you being what the traditional church used to call two-faced? Hypocritical. Are you any different today than you were when you first came to faith in Christ. See we should all be able to say. You know what I'm not where I used to be. Amen. I might not be where I'm going to be. But I'm not where I used to be. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Thyatira. Warning. 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 Beep, beep. They're about to get up in our stuff. (laughs) Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into what's that word right there? What's that word right there? So, by the teaching, Jezebel, she misleads my servants into what is it? Sexual immorality. And the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality. But she is what? So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. And I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intense, intensely. Unless they unless they repent of her ways. I will strike Her children dead. I wanted to take that out of Scripture all week long. But I can't do it. You do want me to preach the whole counsel of God, right? Then all the churches will know that I am He who searches hearts and minds. And I will repay each of you according to your what? Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold... So the Bible turns here. The Bible starts to praise those who have not gone the way of Jezebel. To you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. Could it be that the unbelievable amount of sexual sin we see all over the world today, could it be that that's Satan's so-called deep secrets? Wow is right. I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Sexual immorality is serious business. I don't think some of you heard me. Sexual immorality is serious business. Now for those of you who want to grab your phone and go to Facebook right now or Twitter or see who's playing football later. No, no, I don't think you heard me. Sexual immorality is serious business. And to which you might say, and rightly so, well, what do you mean by that? What is sexual immorality? Here's what I mean by sexual immorality. I don't speak this on my own. This is in the authority of the Word of God. Sexual immorality is sex outside of a monogamous relationship, a monogamous marriage between a man and a woman. Sexual immorality is a serious sin. And to which you might say, well, 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 it isn't sin. Even, you know, it's all sin. It's all level at the foot of the cross. I know I've said all that stuff before. But there is no denying in Scripture, there's no denying in this passage, sexual immorality is serious business. Which means some of you, Before you leave this worship celebration today at any of our campuses, some of you need to repent of the adulterous affair you're in right now. And some of you who might not have gone over the line yet, you know that you have skirted all up to the line. You are that close to having an adulterous affair, or you're that close to having sex outside of marriage, and what you need to do is you need to repent of it right now, and you need to run! Like you say, where do you get that from? 1 Corinthians 6.18. 1 Corinthians 6.18. The Bible says, flee! Run from sexual immorality. It doesn't say, well, just walk away. It says, Flee! Wide open, run away from that person you know right now in your workplace you started flirting with. Run right now from that person. Instead of putting it on their Facebook wall, you're doing the direct message thing and it's gotten way too flirtatious. Run from that neighbor that you started to look at too closely. Wow, it's intense up in here. Anybody see what happened over the course of the last week? The Ashley Madison website. If you don't know what I'm talking about, there's a website. I didn't even know it existed until um, this week. There's a website called Ashley Madison. And actually Madison is a website where people go online and they they cheat on their spouses. They have sex outside of marriage. It's a very, very popular website. And uh, this past week a hack occurred, a leak occurred. And somebody hacked their website and somebody printed or actually sent out on the internet over 5,000 people who were wrapped up in adulterous affairs. What you might not know is there are two known cases of suicide right now as a result, those who were busted. Two. What you might not know is that people all over our country they're losing their jobs. Right now. You might not have ever thought about this. I like this is this is not just like hypothetical. I know it to be fact. There are pastors, senior pastors and worship pastors and student pastors and any other leaders in the church. There are church leaders today standing on stages resigning because their names are on the list. And as I've watched this thing unfold, you know what has blown my mind? I cannot even begin to imagine this. Everybody on mainstream media, all they want to talk about is figuring out who leaked the information, who hacked the system. There are awards out and prizes out. They're just trying to, who, who let it all out of the bag? And no one's talking about how jacked up it is in our culture that we celebrate sexual immorality. Church, they're still right and wrong. The spirit of Jezebel hovers over the United States of America. And the the, the, the call for us is going to be, are we going to be a lampstand and shine our light in the midst of sexual darkness? Let me give you some practical steps, because if I don't give you practical steps, you should sue me for pastoral incompetency. I've already mentioned one. Run! (laughs) Flee from sexual sin. Here's the second thing. I've gone public on this. Most of you know I have a pastoral promise to purity. It's been on my website. I'll put it back up there this week. In fact, I'm going to do that. I didn't say that last service. I'll put the promise to purity on my website again. Here's another thing I do. Listen closely. Don't ride in the car alone with a person of the opposite sex. To which some of you might be like, dude, really? Take a chill pill, okay? You go ahead. Don't ride in the car alone with a person of the opposite sex. Why would you put yourself in that situation? And here's another thing you need to know. You don't always have to be guilty. Perception is everything today. Here's another thing you need to know. Even if it's not perception, you ride in the car with the wrong person and they falsely accuse you, you can be done. Here's something, here's something... Don't direct message people on social media. Especially people of the opposite sex. Why you got to go underground? Glad y'all enjoyed that. Here's one on mine. Don't eat alone with the person of the opposite sex. Especially after business hours. Just don't do it. need to be up in a restaurant with a woman besides my wife. Let me speak to the travelers, business travelers. Some of you travel. You know what happens on the travel scene. Listen, if you travel and you have to for your job... Eat an early dinner if you have a business meeting, business dinner, especially if you're the point person. we got some very successful travelers in here. If you're the point person and you're scheduling the dinner, schedule that bad boy early. When I say early, I mean 5 or 6 o'clock. When that dinner is done, get your rear end back to your hotel room. I'm trying to be serious, but you guys are like, for real. Some of our parents used to tell us nothing good happens after midnight. Come on. You say, I don't want to go to bed that early. Fine, go to the gym. Go to a movie by yourself. Don't put yourself in the wrong environments. Don't trust yourself. Learn to set up guardrails in your life. Here's one, and I I take a lot of heat for this one from new women. I don't counsel women. I get all kind of pushback on that from women. Every Sunday, some woman come to me. Will you counsel me? Will you meet with me? I can't believe I just did that. <laughs> see, see, that's perfect, actually. That's to show you, you don't want me to counsel you. I'll jack you up, man. Like, really, you don't. I, 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 mercy is not my strong suit. Um, you don't want, but, but I do get pushback on that. Why do I need to counsel a woman? I can't uh... <laughs> there's nowhere I can go from here that's good. <laughs> you, you need a woman to counsel you, okay? Not not a man. Uh and I think men are best with men. Uh, what else? What else? What... <laughs> Should we just pray and end this thing now? <laughs> Here's the last one, it's a no-brainer, but listen. Don't engage in sex, single people, don't engage in sex outside of a monogamous marriage between a man and a woman. Listen, woman, listen, woman, any man worth his salt wants you to wait. Any man worth his salt wants you to be a virgin. Come on, listen to me. And, and if you, if she will have sex, let me speak to the dudes for a moment. If she will have sex with you outside of marriage, who's to say she's not going to have sex with somebody else when she's in your marriage? I got, I got one more very important one. One more very important one. If you're busted right now, like right now the gig is up. And you're busted and you know it's not between me and you, it's between God's Spirit and you right now. If you're busted right now, you need to repent of your sin and follow Christ in obedience. You say, what does that mean, repent? Repent is a word that means I'm going in this direction, I'm living in sin, I'm going to repent, I'm going to do a 180, I'm going to run in the opposite direction and I'm going to leave that relationship. You need to repent. I know this is up here. I, w- I wasn't going to do it, but here. I tweeted this this week. Did, I, I like Hilton Hotels. I don't, I don't always stay in them, but I do a lot. We have like a, an account, so we get a discount and stuff. Uh, so I tweeted this. Did you hear that Hilton, Hilton uh, cut their pornography channels from all of their hotel rooms? Yeah. Did you hear this? It's awesome. I'm a bigger fan now. I almost always stay at Hilton Hotels when I travel. Now I'm an even bigger fan. Thank you and well done. This week, Hilton sliced all their pornographic channels. It is awesome. But can I just tell you something else though? Because you might not stay at Hilton's and Like I said, I don't always stay at them. You do know, don't you, that you can go to the front desk and you can say, I don't want that junk in my room and I don't even want the option to pay for it. And do you know that they can go into their computer with a couple keystrokes you not even have the temptation in your room? Church, come on. We're to be the light of the world. We're to be salt. Of the earth. We are to preserve the things that are right. And you can call me old fashioned if you want. But I still believe there is a right. And there is a wrong. And the people of God should pursue the right. As much as they possibly can. And when they fall short. They repent of their sin. Let's move on. To which some of you are going. Thank God. You need to repent, sir. (laughs) No, I'm serious. Some of you are that close to destroying all the years you've built into a family. Golly, I don't even want to leave. i got to leave, but... Some of you are going to destroy a spouse who would be with you till death does you part. Oh, I'm about to say something I shouldn't say. Over a flipping orgasm. Oh, yeah, he just said that. that have you ever stopped to think how stupid it is to throw away your marriage? To throw away the respect of your children over a freaking fling? Oh, I get a lot of pushback for saying freaking too. I've never said that here before, but like I get pushback from not counseling women, and I always get an email from people who say, "Don't say freaking in church." I'm sorry, but I'm gonna be here today who I am tomorrow. And if you don't like it, send me an email. No, no, seriously, write this down. Here's the email address Benji at com. I am what I am. And I don't eat green eggs and ham. <laughs> come on, come, come on back, come on back, come on back. You're going to throw that away? Have you ever stopped to think how seriously idiotic that is? Single person, you're going to throw away the precious sacredness of your virginity for a one-night fling? Or more than a one-night fling? over short-term sexual satisfaction? 20 years I've been married to my wife. Never had an affair on her. Never will. Don't plan on it. She's never had an affair on me. Well, Quit looking at the grass on the other side. You say the grass is greener on the other side. The grass ain't greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. Water your own yard. Water your own yard. Golly, I got to (laughs) go. To the angel of the church in Sardis, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. God holds all the spirits, all the stars. He holds the world in the palm of his hand, seven complete. You know that. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and what is about to die. The Bible says, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Now before I go to the next slide, I want to make sure you understand. The first slide says, wake up if you're dead. I don't know how anybody could be sleeping right now. But look to your neighbor. And let's have some fun. Look to your neighbor and say, wake up. All right, good, good. If you're asleep in this service, you're probably dead. Like, really dead. <laughs> Remember, therefore, what you ever... Now, now, here's the connection I want you to make. Notice the biblical connection between being awake spiritually or dead spiritually. Notice the connection between that and the deeds that one does or does not do. Let me say that again. It's very important. Notice the biblical correlation between being spiritually awake and, or dead and uh, the deeds that you do or the deeds that you don't do. It's very important because that's where we're going in just a moment. Hold it fast and what's that word? There it is again. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. So here's the very simple question I have for you. What are you doing with your faith? Like like seriously, what, what are you... And last week we talked about the church being the lampstand, right? We are God's lampstand in the world. Here's a qu- question. What do you do... All of you have lamps at the house. What do you do when the bulb goes out? You, you replace it. What do you do when the lamp stops working? You throw it out. The lamp is dead because a lamp is intended to give light. We are dead if our deeds are not serving and, and and advancing the God-given ordained church, the most redemptive movement on the planet, when we let our deeds serve the church, the hope of the world, then we are spiritually awake. And the Bible says that if you aren't doing anything with your faith, you are dead. So what are you doing? Like I'm serious. What, what, are you, what are you doing in the church? Or, or is it all about you? Me, 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 me. Is it all about how you can get in and out real quick? How you can get a parking space? Is it all about whether or not you can get to the cafe and get your drink? Is it all about whether or not you can come in here and it's me, 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 me. And what God wants to say to you today is what it really needs to be about is thee, the, 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 thee. The. It's all about you, God. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to give you my life. What are you doing? Like, like I'm serious. Now, if you're new here, oh God, we're glad you're here. Take all the time you want. But what about those of you who've been here for weeks and months and even years, and you don't do squat for the kingdom of God through His church? What are you What are you doing? Like, like for real? What are you, What are you doing? You, you You can go go serve Kiwanis and. And, 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 and the blood thing, what's the blood thing called? Um, Red Cross. Sorry. <laughs> you, can go, you can go serve all those secular agencies and organizations and there's nothing wrong if you do that, that's fine. But can I just tell you that at the end of the day, those organizations do not impact eternity. There is nothing better in which to serve and volunteer than the church of Jesus Christ. I believe it. If I didn't believe it, I wouldn't be here right now. Like, like, what are you doing? Have you ever thought about this? If we're a lampstand, if you're not serving, guess what? We aren't nearly as bright as we could be if you didn't serve. Or if you did serve. We're not nearly as bright. You're a ten in something. We want to figure out how to get you involved. We got all kinds of things going on at all the campuses. We have a busy fall. We have exciting ground to take. We're going to be moving. Other campuses are upfitting and they're doing this. We're going into the mission field like never before. If you're not involved, we aren't shining as bright as we could. So here's what I want to do. I want you to take out the Connect card right now. There's a Connect card in front of you, right in the chair pocket. You got the Connect card. You, you, you might not have figured this out. We haven't received an offering yet. We're going to receive an offering right now. For those of you who support the ministries of this church, praise God for you. And Now's your time to give financially if you, if you desire that. But, but I want to focus in on where are you serving? Like, like, where are you serving? And here's all you got to do is write on the connect card, here to serve. Just write here to serve. You don't have to put the area. You might not know where you're going to serve. Just, just right here to serve. Or you might know, hey, I want to sing. We'll, we'll put you on the stage if you can sing. <laughs> you might know it's children's ministry or student ministry or adult worship or, or first contact or pathfinders or cafe or resource center or admin or facilities. I mean, we got, there's all kinds of things that make this church move forward. You just put here to serve and we'll be in touch with you. Now let me say this, and I'm, I'm, I'm very serious about this. If you don't hear anything from us, please let me know. You come grab me. And if you have ever signed up for something before and you didn't hear from us, would you please hear my heart? We are sorry. We we do not want people to fall through the cracks here. And I know we're a big church and all that kind of stuff. You come grab me on a Sunday morning. I'll get your contact information and we will get you involved. You just mark that connect card. You'll hear from somebody. As you're doing that, I'm going to show you... ...the final reading of Scripture today from the island of Patmos... ...and then I'll wrap up very quickly. Check it out. So we're on top of the island of Patmos. And if there ever was a place where I think you could get a good vision... ...it would be in a place like this. And I want to read up here a passage of Scripture... ...that I'm guessing most of you have heard before... Most of us aren't very familiar with the bulk of the book of Revelation. But there is a passage that we've heard pastors like me quote from time to time. So open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. And I want us to start reading verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, I write these words. These are the words of him who is holy and true. Who holds the key of David? What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. Think about that for a moment. God knows every deed that we do. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. The Bible says every one of us will face a trial. The Bible says every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And here the Bible is speaking words of affirmation and encouragement to the church at Philadelphia. Verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Words of affirmation, words of warning, yes, but words of encouragement to the church at Philadelphia. And now the chapter turns and we go from affirming, encouraging words to the church at Philadelphia ...to the church of Laodicea in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. That's a theme we keep picking up on. God says, I know your deeds. And here he says this, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other... So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see listen to this next verse powerful verse those whom I love I rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent here I am I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and eat with him. I will come in and fellowship with him, and he, she with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, May God bless His Word for us, the people of God. So there's only there's only two letters left, and um, I'm gonna throw a little curveball to the productions team and see if they can hang with me. The only the only two things I'm gonna put back on the screen are the last two slides. You don't need to worry about it now, just in a moment. So the first letter that I just read was to to the church at Philadelphia. Now, if if you're taking notes in your Bible, check this out. This is fascinating. The letter to the church at Philadelphia is the only letter where there is no condemnation. There is no conviction. There is no challenge. There's nothing but applause. There's nothing but praise. There's nothing but thanksgiving and and the word philadelphia as most of you know means the city of love the brotherly city of love and and what the writer is saying to the church at philadelphia is you have done such a good job with loving people and here's what i want to say to that today like i think that's that's really what new hope is about can can i just like i think we could be named new hope philly get you some of that like like seriously, I, I, I get to see a lot of churches that I've never found a church more loving than you hope. It, you, 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 I'm so proud of you. You are the most loving community of faith, and this is not just preacher talk, something I, I wouldn't say if I didn't believe it. You are the most loving church I've ever, ever seen. Even though we stand on the Word of God and we talk about truth like I've talked about and we talk about repentance, here's what you do and I'm so stinking proud of you. You welcome anybody who walks up to this church. It doesn't matter about skin color. It doesn't matter about socioeconomic levels. It doesn't matter about what they did last night. It doesn't matter. If they, you just love people. Way to go. I'm so proud of you. You you send hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids back to school this year with brand new tennis shoes that they wouldn't have had without you. You adopt blocks in this area and you serve needy people who need their homes fixed up. You sponsor children in foreign lands in Haiti and Kenya. Like just a few years ago, we sponsored every single child in a huge village in Boho Haiti you did You're so loving. Way to go. Thank you. First Corinthians 13:13, 13, 13, but these three remain, faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these is Your lampstand of love takes my breath away. Thank you. I'm honored to serve you. I love my church. And when I say my church, I don't mean like my church. It's God's church. I love my church, our church. I love this place. And then, and then the Bible turns, and the last letter, we're going to end with this. And don't leave because we, we're not going to sing anymore together. We're going to sing a song over you. But then we get to Laodicea. And I don't really need to remind you of these words. Probably every single person has heard of of the church at Laodicea. Here is in the Bible where the the word of God says, You know what? I wish you were hot or cold. But because you are what, church? Lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That's that's God's word. That's, That's God saying, I'm going to spit you Are you you on passionate, white-hot fire for God? Like, like for real, are you? You don't need to answer. I want you to think about that. Or have you grown complacent and and lukewarm? I mean, the the message I want to give you today is is one one of encouragement, one that you realize it doesn't matter. I know I've been talking about some really big stuff today, and some of you are sitting there, and you're feeling really, really bad right now. Listen, God loves you, and God is calling you to repentance. And if you repent, God will forgive you. And so will those you've offended if they know Christ. Listen, you repent. This is a message of hope. But here's the deal. Are you, are you cold? Has your heart grown cold for the things of God? I to tell you this, that disgusts God. Are you lukewarm? Now you might think, well, that's a little bit better. I play church. You know, I give a little bit, drop a little fast spot in there. I'm all right. No, 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 no. That's lukewarm. Are you lukewarm? You might think that's better. And, and, and the Bible says, no, 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 that's just as bad as cold. Just go be cold. God wants all of you or God wants none of you. He didn't leave heaven, die on a blood-stained cross for you and I to tiptoe through the daisies and just be half-hearted lukewarm followers. history lesson. I love this. I can't teach this text without saying it. Laodicea, of course it was a historical city. North of Laodicea, there was a river called the river Lycus. The river Lycus had hot springs that would bubble up on the earth and Laodicea didn't have good water. So Laodicea, the people of Laodicea built aqueducts for the Lycus hot springs to come down to Laodicea. The only problem was it was four miles away. To this day, this is geographically accurate the problem is the hot springs would come up out of the water they would get in the aqueduct and they would travel four miles to Laodicea but after four miles the hot springs would be lukewarm to the southeast of Laodicea there was another city and they had mountain top springs of water that would come over a cliff snow-capped mountains Frigid, alpine, cold water would come over the mountainous cliffs. They would come to Laodicea as well. But after miles of traveling, the ice cold water would be lukewarm by the time it got to Laodicea. Fascinating. Hot water becoming lukewarm. Frigid, cold water becoming lukewarm. And it is into that context that God's Word says... I'd rather rather you be hot and cold. But don't bring up some lukewarm, timid version of religiosity. Instead, be white, hot, passionate for me. And if you don't, this is not Benji's words, if you don't, there will come a day where I will spew you out of my presence. That is called judgment can, can, can y'all go to those last two questions I don't know if they're going to be able to do this this is throwing them a curveball of course they can because they're awesome here are the two questions I want to leave you with how is God encouraging me and how is God convicting me like will you let that settle into your spirit in what areas of my life do I need to repent Some of you need to do business with God today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way in which you continuously transform me when I open my heart and my own sin and I place myself on the anvil of Your transformative work in my life, God, you change me, you shape me, you fashion me, you mold me. God, there's a lot of stuff going on right now in the spiritual realm today. Father, I pray for the man or the woman who is sitting here, God, and something in these letters has convicted them, God. They feel feel guilty, God. They feel exposed. They feel... Like they need your love and your grace. God, I thank you that the way to receive that is through repentance. And if that is you today, why don't you just take a moment right now and just pray, God, forgive me. God, I'm sorry. Here I stand before you once again, and I am sorry. I need your grace. I need your love. I need your truth, and I needed this word today. So today I repent and I follow you and I ask you to give me Holy Spirit infused power to follow you from this day forward. God I also want to pray for the person who is here and God they don't really know you they just felt your spirit moving in their life today. I didn't put this verse of scripture up but With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just let this be read over you. Revelation 3.20 says, and this is Jesus speaking. I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If anyone opens the door and lets me in, I will come in. I will fellowship. I will sup with them. That's God's way of saying, I will come in and have a relationship with you. There's a door to your heart today. There's only one knob on that door. God will not open that door. God will not invade. God will not bombard you. Never has, never will. But there's a knob on your side. And the Bible says that if you will turn that knob and open up the door of your heart. God will come in. Save your soul and allow you to start experiencing this transformation. This abundant life that is found only in Jesus so even as we sing over you may you confess may you repent may you open the door of your heart if you need to may your best days be ahead God loves you see John see John an old man now with tears in his eyes Declaring repent, repent, let him in. He loves you. He has a great plan for your life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, just stop by one of our campuses anytime or visit us online at newhopechurch.org. If you have any prayer requests, please send those to prayers at newhopenc.org and our pastors and staff will stand with you in prayer.
1: Thanks for being a part of our church family and we hope you'll join us next week.